Another reason to give thanks for Westminster Seminary, another candidate who graduated from there is John Anderson. It sure is good to have him among us, I'll tell you that. Thank the Lord. I'll tell you what. He was conspicuous by his absence there for a while. and So he's not quite yet ubiquitous, but we're grateful he's, he's conspicuous by his presence now. And so we jump into Luke chapter 4, having taken a detour last week because it was Reformation Sunday to talk about an important Reformation theme. And so we'll be back in Luke today and the next week continuing in chapter 4, and then there will be a break. Dr. Poland will be preaching on the 20th of November. If you'll excuse Kathy and I while we are away for our grandson's, youngest grandson's, first birthday my dad's 91st birthday, and then some holiday where we eat turkey and stuff like that. So anyway, just letting you know. And then after Thanksgiving, we're going to jump back in the book of Luke and pick up those chapters that we jumped over. And so as we head into the Advent season, we'll be looking at chapters 1 and 2. But in the meantime, we're in chapter 4 today, and we're looking at verses 22 through 30. And we're picking up in the middle of an event, because the last time that we were here in Luke, in this declaration of the doctor's good news, we looked at how Jesus had returned to his hometown. And here he is in Nazareth in the synagogue going there as was his custom. He was in the habit of being in the place of worship on the Sabbath day, just as it should be our custom to be in the place of worship on the Lord's day. And here we are. And he opened the scroll, found the place that he wanted to read, and he read from Isaiah the words that were before him, and he closed up that scroll, rolled it up, and he sat down, and everyone was looking at him. All their eyes were fixed on him, and he told them in no uncertain terms that today this scripture has been fulfilled. And so we pick up in verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. We'll ask the Lord to add his blessing to this reading of his word, for we give him praise for it. Amen. Message delivered, but the messenger was rejected. This is one of the saddest passages in all of the Bible, in my estimation. When Jesus came back to minister to the very people 
who presumably knew him the best, and yet they failed to appreciate the one who was before them. And it reminds all of us, because after all, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper today, and I want to get right to the chase. How many of us consider ourselves to be familiar with the things of the Lord? Perhaps we were raised in church. Perhaps this whole worship setting is extremely familiar to us. And yet it's possible that in our observance of the things that we're most familiar with, we have missed the most important thing, the most important person of all. And so Jesus, with great expectation began to speak. Now, many would point out that Jesus did not read all of the passage of Scripture before him, that passage which talked about God pouring out his wrath upon the people who were opposed to Israel in Isaiah's prophecy. But the point is, Jesus read what he intended to read and that part which he had come to fulfill. And so they were ready. They thought they were ready as they began listening to him, and he didn't say what they wanted to hear. It's hard, isn't it, to listen in order to learn. Too many times in our experience, we listen so that we'll be ready to respond when the person who's talking to us is through. That's what's wrong with so much of our political discourse. We're not so much listening to each other as we're just loading ourselves, waiting to respond when a moment of silence enters the room. Jesus experienced at the start of his talk at least the crowd's welcome. Now, I know that there's some discussion about the particular interpretation. It it could be that they weren't looking at him with expectation, but they already were angry because of what he did. But I don't need to go into all of that. Let's not discuss or debate how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. As there is much discussion among scholars, we'll let them discuss it. Let's take it at face value and assume that the people were ready, at least outwardly, to listen to Jesus. And take that as a word of caution, that we can at least outwardly appear to be among those who are interested in what the Lord really has to say, when in fact, inwardly, we simply want to be con confirmed in our own preconceived notions. Have I stepped on any toes yet? Like they used to say, you've quit preaching and gone to meddling. Well, that's exactly what I intended to do. I intend to meddle and challenge all of us. Because so many times when we open our Bibles and when we read or when we listen to a message, we simply want our preconceived notions confirmed and we're not open to learning What's really there? And a true student of the Lord Jesus will always be interested to learn, whether you've been following him for a year or for 90 years. Thank you for that. Jesus uses the word amen, by the way, down in verse 24, so it's okay for us to use it. When he says, truly I say, he's saying amen or amen. So it's all right, even for Presbyterians, because it means truth. So while they're speaking well of him, supposedly marveling at his words coming from his mouth, they, on the other hand, are saying, is not this Joseph's son? And in this question, they betray a lack of understanding. You see, they know what appeared to be true. 
They knew he appeared to be the son of Joseph, but we, having read previously in the book, understand that he was not the son of Joseph at all. Joseph happened to be the head of the home, and Jesus was raised there under his authority, but he is, in fact, the son of the living God, having been conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. What they thought they knew wasn't necessarily so. One of my favorite sayings in the world, and I'm not sure that it's original with him, but Will Rogers. I don't know why, even when I was a little boy, my dad, when Will Rogers, something would be on an old historic program and we would watch or listen to him, one of his radio broadcasts on cassette tapes. Does anybody remember cassette tapes? I like listening to Will Rogers. He died in 1935. But one of the things that Will Rogers said it's, was this. It's not what we don't know that gets us into trouble. It's what we know that ain't so that gets us into trouble. And here is one of those cases. It's not what they didn't know. It's what they thought they knew that wasn't so. It's not this Joseph's son. Oh, isn't there so much more to the story than that? So when we come to the Bible, we need to be ready to learn all of this treasure trove of information that is life-giving to us. And he said to them, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, position, heal yourself. That was a saying that was abroad back in the day. People would use that. It's not a proverb that we find in Scripture, but it was a popular saying, if you will. And you can hear it. If you know so much, show us what you can do. It's basically a recapitulation of what he says just after that, where he says that uh, a prophet, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown because people have their expectations and they're waiting to see what he can do. And when those expectations aren't fulfilled, they will reject him. And so they reject the Lord Jesus and violently so. So we learn from this that an initial positive reaction to Jesus is not the same as repentance and faith in Jesus. Look at so-called popularly reported conversions, without mentioning any names, of people who have come out and said that they believe in Jesus or that they've converted to Jesus. Now, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for any public declaration of faith in the Lord Jesus. But we remember that Jesus himself said, by their fruits you shall know them. And so just because there's an initial positive reaction does not mean that there is a real conversion. Remember, after all, Herod saw Jesus in Luke chapter 23, verse 8. And he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him. Because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Now, if a modern reporter were telling us this story, he might tell us that at that moment, Herod was a Christian. He was so far from being a believer. He had an expectation that was not founded in reality. Not a believer at all, even though he had a positive outlook on Jesus. So be careful. We also need to understand that popular perceptions of Jesus are seldom accurate. They may sound intelligent. Perhaps they are. Very thoughtful, very studied. Even views that scholars would offer us. But generally, those popular notions are not accurate. Be mindful. Be discerning. This is a point for me to insert. If you have ears, listen. And simply understand 
Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, where he asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And here, here's the, uh, the response. Here's what Gallup Poll said in the days of Jesus. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That's what people were saying. That was the popular perception of Jesus' identity, and they were all wrong. You see, you can be very sincere in your beliefs and be sincerely wrong. Don't believe something simply because it's popular. We must hold on to the truth as it's been revealed by God. And if I'm the only person who believes that, of course, there probably is a problem if I'm the only person who believes a particular thing. But nevertheless, we believe things not because they're popular, but because God tells us so. Remember the song we learned as children, Jesus... Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Not because of the evening news or the Internet, even though we didn't have it back then. Just stay with me. We know Jesus loves us because the Bible tells us so. That's our source of information, not news media, the Internet, or our neighbor next door. Resistance to the Lord often comes from the very ones who should know better. It is sad that in many so-called churches today that have the name Jesus associated with them that you will find very little truth about Jesus spoken there. It is a reality. It is sad that many people gather today calling themselves Christians, Christians, and yet in places of worship, that profess to be Christian, and yet little truth about the true Christ will be proclaimed. Some friends of ours were once in a worship service in Charlotte, North Carolina. They were there for a family member's baptism. And the title of the sermon that day, because apparently the pastor had seen a bumper sticker the week before, which said Jesus is the answer, had decided to entitle his sermon, Jesus is not the answer, Jesus is the question. And our friend said that during the course of that sermon, their son, who was, I think, six or seven years old, maybe a little older than that, but not much, heard the preacher say something utterly ridiculous and started to stand up and object. <laughs> and my friend you know, had to pull him back down. I said, you should have let him go. Some of the utterly ridiculous things, by the way, the the sermon that day was not even from one of the true gospel narratives. He, he was using the so-called gospel according to Thomas, not even one of the inspired gospels, but something attributed to the apostle Thomas. Thomas didn't write. No evidence for his writing it at all. But that's happening. And so resistance to the Lord often comes from the very ones who should know better. John 1, 10 and 11, he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And later in chapter 15, verse 20, same book, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Point being, inasmuch as the world, according to its nature, rejects the Lord Jesus don't expect the world to open up its arms to us. On this International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, we are reminded 
that as followers of Jesus, we can expect opposition. But then this, understanding that Jesus speaks to them about the days of Elijah and Elisha when those prophets went to an unexpected location. In each case, the widow and Zarephath, Naaman, the Syrian, talking about Philistines and Syrians, people that Jews wouldn't associate with, people that Jews despised, and yet the prophets went to people from those groups. The scope of God's plan is greater than we're often prepared to accept. More than one Christian has been shocked and astounded to see someone they know who despised the name of Christ and wanted nothing to do with Christianity come to know the Lord Jesus. Those are wonderful experiences in my accounting as I look back on them. I remember a boy in high school that I knew and associated with and prided himself in being a Satan worshiper. And we loved to get in arguments with him. We liked to beat him up verbally, tell him how terrible And a sweet little lady in the community loved David instead of arguing with him and would give him cards on his birthday and she baked cakes for him and told him how much she was praying for him. And all of us were extremely disappointed one day when we came to school and found out he'd become a Christian. He had repented and trusted in Jesus. And then we all got convicted. And one by one, we had to go apologize to him. Because we had prided ourselves on beating up on a Satan worshiper. And the Lord went and converted him. He doesn't work according to our plans. Thank God. And while opposition to Jesus is inevitable in this life, so was his ultimate success. They determined to kill him at that point, and... There would come a day when they would be successful in that attempt, but not that day. But think of it this way. Just as surely as their intention was to put an end to his life and Jesus escaped by simply walking through the midst of them and right on to the rest of his ministry, there would come a day when they would put the Son of Man to death and he would walk right out of the grave and on to the rest of his ministry. And so we remember today as we come to the supper of our Lord Jesus, yes, he died on a cross. But he rose, and he is victorious. And though the whole world opposes him, our Lord always and forevermore will prevail. That's who we worship. So whether or not the messenger is rejected or accepted, the messenger, Jesus, never fails. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We come now to the table of our Lord Jesus, remembering his sacrifice and giving thanks for the blessing that is ours by way of the eating of the bread and drinking of the cup. We thank you for all that these simple elements represent. And as we give you thanks, we ask your blessing on our partaking together as we praise the name of Jesus and ask all things in his name. Amen. You know, the idea of bread 
is something that is in the scriptures, yes, ubiquitous. We can read of God's using bread throughout the scriptures, even in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, God provided them bread, sustained them with bread. Come into the New Testament. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then our Lord Jesus, he, on the night of his betrayal, took bread and broke it. He was gathered there in the upper room with with his disciples. And, And he used bread not terribly dissimilar to this. It was unleavened bread, just as this is. We use this. There's nothing magic about this. It's just a little little extra symbolism that it is the unleavened bread and that it was, in fact, broken. Our Lord Jesus said, Your fathers ate bread in the wilderness, and they died. I am the bread of life. He who eats of me will never hunger. He who drinks of me will never thirst. And so uh, we think of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the reason why we use broken matzah is because our Lord Jesus Christ was broken. So, so what do we think as these elements are passed around together and we, and we hold on to those elements and we, and we meditate and we think for those two or three minutes while the plates are being served like everybody else being served? What is it that we think about? We think about the brokenness of our Lord Jesus Christ and how our sin made that necessary. So we come to this table and we confess our sins Uh, for anything that we're aware of God forgive me wash me whiter than wool so our Lord Jesus took the bread and he broke it distributed to apostles and said this is my body broken for you if the elders will come forward we'll pass the elements we would ask that you would hold the elements together so that uh, we might partake together. Now, we have people from many different uh, spiritual backgrounds, church backgrounds. We uh, believe the scriptures to be the inspired word of God. We believe our Lord Jesus Christ uh, came, God in the flesh, suffered, he died, rose again bodily ascended into heaven. That is our the core of our belief. If you're from a different tradition, we welcome you. If you have come to believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you may partake with us. This is a family meal. Um, if, if you feel uncomfortable about any of the proceedings, just let the plate go by in front of you. No one will think any of the worst of you. Just let it go. And so it is.
Jesus, thank you that you were broken for our brokenness, that you became what we are in order that we might enjoy the fruits of our salvation. And for that person who today has not yet come to faith in Christ, I would encourage you, even now, to believe in the That life is in the blood. And Jesus, by shedding his blood, by giving his life, gives life to us. And so as the trays are passed and we take the cup, hold it until everyone is served and then we will partake together. Remembering, as Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it.
Drink from it, all of it. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, our minds cannot comprehend the lengths to which you have gone to demonstrate your love for us, wherein you have given your only begotten Son. But our Father, we do thank you. And we do render praise to you as much as is possible in this sinful world, still caring about with us our sinful bodies. And yet, how thankful we are for grace, knowing that though we may be who we are now, it has not yet appeared what we shall be. And for that, we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, thanking you that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at your right hand now, even as he intercedes for us, and even for this preacher with fumbling words, who tries to give voice and gratitude in his heart for a Savior who ever lives to make intercession for us. In his blessed name we pray. Amen. What else can we do but shout to the Lord? Let's stand as we do.
And so may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen. Amen.